every voice and sing, till earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Those lyrics are the first stanza of what is known as the Black National Anthem, written by two brothers, James Weldon Johnson and J. Rosman Johnson, in the late 19th century. It is a prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving, and it champions the freedom and liberation of a people, up from slavery into emancipation. But what does it mean to be free? These great United States has championed freedom as its highest value. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. That Bible verse is inscribed on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. But what does it mean to be free? One of my favorite renditions of the national anthem was performed by the late, great Whitney Houston in 1991. It is arguably the greatest performance of the national anthem of all time. And you know what? Let's watch it right quick. So good, right? Land of the free, home of the brave, we say. But what does it mean to be free? I have been pondering that question for a long time now, as the culture wars have ebbed and flowed. I have thought about that question when thinking about the beef between conservatives and liberals over the 1619 Project. One side asks, no, declares, that America was born in sin. The other side declares that it was born pure. Neither side really asks the question, what does it mean to be free? I've thought about this question when pondering the culture wars over critical race theory. One side sees the reification of race as a path to social justice. The other side sees the perpetuation of the race construct as a hindrance to justice. Neither side really asks, what does it mean to be free? 
Now, I am a huge fan of many wisdom traditions, including Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, and Taoism, and these traditions have plenty to say about what freedom is, and it might not be what we normally think it is. Freedom is not about having what you want when you want it all the time. It is not about never experiencing sickness or hunger or impoverishment or any form of illness ever in your life. Freedom is not about utopia, nor is it about perfection. Freedom is not about escaping discomfort, nor is it about escaping suffering. And if you think it is, your life will be miserable. You cannot escape suffering. We cannot escape suffering. Life is suffering. And although we can work to alleviate aspects of those suffering, we can never fully avoid it. It's built into the very fabric of being itself. So what is freedom actually about? I think it's about wholeness. Wholeness. The word heal comes from that root word, whole. To heal is to make whole. How do you become whole? You become whole by integrating the full aspects of your being, your darkness and your light, your insecurities, your baggage, your human messiness into one. You learn how to get in right relationship with the fullness of your being. That is how you become whole. And that is the motto of the United States of America. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. And this is not the same as pursuing perfection. I cannot stress this enough. You know what perfection is? Perfection is a fixed, changeless, static, frozen state. Think about the classic Greek myth about the Midas touch. A king wanted the power to turn everything into gold, and he was granted that wish, but accidentally turned his son into gold when he hugged him. His son became perfect and lifeless. That's what perfection is. But what does this mean practically? I was speaking with my friend Winston Marshall about this in a podcast I just recorded. We were talking about nationalism, Zionism, and Israel. As some of you may know, I have a very strong allergy to anti-Semitism, and I spent many years being an activist on college campuses fighting against anti-Semitism, and particularly how it manifested in anti-Zionism. And so Winston and I were discussing this, and I brought up a defense of nationalism from the negative side. I stress that people have to be given the opportunity not only to succeed, but also to make mistakes and to fail. This too is part of what it means to be human and what it means to be free. If you completely cut off this possibility to any people, you actually dehumanize them. If, in the words of Reinhold Niebuhr, my fave Protestant theologian, you eliminate the destructive power of human freedom, you would also destroy the creative possibilities of human life. Check out this clip where Winston and I discuss in greater depth. Uh, you to 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 show uh, to to care about anti-Semitism, uh, but then you're you're jumping to caring about Israel, mm-hmm. and that's that. Those are separate things. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, obviously they're linked, but yeah. to um, you know, you you could you can care about anti-Semitism without being a Zionist, for example. Sure. Um, or 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 for, or you might be more sympathetic to Palestine when it comes to the Israel-Palestine conflict, but also care about anti-Semitism across the world. How how did you make that that step from anti-Semitism to caring uh, specifically about, to to the point that you were advocating for Israel? Yeah, I think for me. And I'm trying to remember, because this was a long time ago, but 
I think for me, it was, it was a lot of things. It was understanding that, that it was kind of unfair to see every other people be given the, or be recognized for their rights to national self-determination, except for the Jews. Um, I thought historically that that was certainly a part of anti-Semitism. Um, but it was also, and this is much more of a, I would say, do you know Reinhold Niebuhr? Are you familiar no. with it? Oh my God, what's that? <laughs> okay. Um, you should definitely read his works. He was like a really famous 20th century Protestant theologian. Um, it really brilliant. And I think that there's this, when it comes to anti-Zionism in particular, I think that there's this, um, this sense that nationalism, all nationalism is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, what do you call it? the opposite of uh, straw manning. I'm going to steel man anti-Zionism for a second. Um, <laughs> the idea that all nationalism is flawed because nationalism inherently means some kind of othering of people who don't belong to that nationalistic identity, right? America notwithstanding, you know, America's a little bit different, but most countries, most nations have a very specific manifestation um, or very specific people who they claim to be fulfilling the national rights of. And so if I were to steal man anti-Zionism, I would say it's a form of anti-nationalism and it perceives nationalism as a great evil. The, I think Niburian retort to that would be that there's no such thing as a world with without imperfection in other words the the idea that we can move to this sort of like teleologically utopian state where there's there's so much there's like absolute perfection and no mistakes are made and uh, blood is on no one's hands and you know in, even in the pursuit of justice blood is on no one's hands I think that's a fundamentally flawed understanding of the human condition. And I don't think it's desirable either. And I, I grew up with this sort of teleological idea, the idea that the world is moving towards a fixed state or a perfect state in which human beings will be perfect and it will be a utopia and we will all live in absolute perfection with each other. Um, and James Cars has also influenced my thinking on this um, in his book, Finite and Infinite Games, where he says, actually, the pursuit of evil, or excuse me, the, the uh, pro proliferation of evil often comes when people try to completely eradicate evil from the face of the earth. Um, because they're basically not realizing that we're all in a fallen state. So I think when it comes to nationalism and when it comes to anti-Zionism in particular, I am very much pro-self-determination for all peoples. And I know that self-determination, national self-determination, national self-actualization presupposes by definition that mistakes will be made, that sins will be committed, 
and that harm will be done. But I think that the very fabric of reality would cease to exist if that wasn't a possibility. And I think that historically speaking, certainly in the West, it is a, it is a curious thing, not simply to tell the Jewish people that they're not entitled to self-determination, but to also tell them essentially that they're not allowed to make mistakes. And I think this is a different argument from what I would have said in back in the day when I was in college. Um, there's this, there's this underlying, I think, idea within anti-Zionism that the Jews and the Jews alone are not allowed to make mistakes on a nationalistic level. Now, obviously we would want the Jewish people to get better. Like we would want any person or any group of people to get better um, at doing whatever it is they're doing on a nationalistic level. But I do think that anti-Zionism has this particular, uh, this makes this particular exception and that it says that the Jews alone are not able to self-actualize in a national way and are not able to make mistakes because they're not able to self-actualize, which presupposes that mistakes will be made in the first place. When we seek perfection, both in ourselves and others, we are actually seeking a kind of death. This is why the Founding Fathers were smart enough to write about a more perfect union. They knew that a perfect union was an impossibility. Plus, if you seek perfection, you'll end up cutting off and repressing elements of yourself that you hate. And repression always leads to those same elements unconsciously being projected onto other people. Instead of taking responsibility for those aspects of your personality, you'll start to see those qualities in other people that are actual aspects of yourself that you have denied within yourself. And then you'll start to despise those people who are nothing more than reflections of yourself. As this is true for an individual, so too is it true for a community and for a nation. The philosopher James Carse captured elements of this in his book, Finite and Infinite Games. He wrote that a finite game is played for the purpose of winning, but an infinite game is played for the purpose of continuing the game, of keeping the game in play. A system that sees perfection as its highest goal is a finite game. After all, perfection is an impossible, comparative game, because you are imperfect. And if you think otherwise, how are you perfect? You're perfect compared to who, exactly? Adopting perfection as your highest value will make you feel like constantly needing to compare and contrast yourself with others, effectively trying to win victory over them. But if you were to win, the game would be over. You would have banished the imperfect elements in your own soul and instead of learning how to understand them, you would become dry, stale, and lifeless. But a value system that prizes freedom or wholeness as its highest goal is an infinite game. Adopting wholeness as your highest virtue will help you learn how to relate to everything life brings you, no matter what it is, the good, the bad, the ugly, joy, suffering, wonder, pain, insecurity, baggage, all of it and you will be able to dance with whatever life brings you. This is how you take the many elements of your life and make them one. And that dance never ends, because even after you die, you would have modeled a way of being that others might see and want to emulate. 
The pursuit of perfection is similar to the pursuit of absolute power. It will never end, and it can never be fulfilled. In fact, in mistaking perfection for freedom, you can become a slave to fanciful notions of perfection, notions that you cling to because you think they will give you power. But power comes and goes. It is as fickle as the wind. Integrating the opposites within you, pursuing wholeness, this is much, much harder. But if you do this, you will be one. And when you are one, you will be free. Happy Juneteenth.